Dennis Bernstein, Kings of the Podcast, episode 134. Uh, DB, my name, by the way, I'm John Hoven. Nice to meet yes. you. We haven't talked in quite some time, so uh, it's nice to make your acquaintance. The pleasure is mine. Summer is finishing. You know, John, this is the last day I can wear white, according to some of the mayor's rules, right? It's <laughs> yes. Labor Day, so i got to put all my white attire away for the uh, for the rest of the year. But it's it's great to be back with you a couple of weeks away from rookie camp, training camp, uh, ready to talk a little bit of hockey. Yes, uh, you are right. Thank you. Please do follow the rules. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Also, don't wear Birkenstocks uh, any day of the year. That's just a bad thing to do. And don't wear white sunglasses ever. That, that's another another or jean shorts, DB. I mean, let's let's no. not. I could go on for hours here with you know no man breeze, no mandals, no V neck T shirts. Sorry, Brad Richardson and Trevor Lewis. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. And me, uh, I do wear V neck T shirts by the way. I'll tell you what, I'm though, I, I'll give you I'll give you of all those things listed. I'll give you a free pass on the V-neck T-shirt. But please, no bedazzled <laughs> jeans. OK, no, yes, no, I'm no. talking about Dave Penyota. No, no bedazzled jeans. OK, <laughs> no. uh, hey, speaking of Dave Penyota, I wanted to work him into this opening segment. DB, this is like going to be a smorgasbord of uh, of a first period. I think that's how you say it. Uh, a yeah. first period here because we haven't talked in quite some time. So let's just kind of dabble all around and uh, get your thoughts sure. on certain things. But uh, we haven't talked since the world juniors. And I mean, come on, I was in Edmonton. I know you, you've been dying to hear about the trip to Edmonton other than, other than the daily texts um, from Edmonton. But uh, yes, let me tell you a little bit about Edmonton. Okay. Please do. Uh, yes. Yeah. It's still an armpit. It's still nothing that's overly impressive. Um, it's there, okay? Uh, and Yeah, that's right. I said it. I wish people could see the look on your face right now. Um, I did eat at the Bell Tower, as you recommended. Yep. I also ate at the Arcade or whatever it was called that Panyota recommended. Great burger. He, he sold it perfectly. He told me they had great burger, and they did. It was the best cheeseburger I had on the trip. Uh, the fries were cold. And as somebody else told me, great burger, cold fries. I guess that's a Canadian special. I did not know that. Um, so I guess that's how they do it there. But I had a, uh, a good burger. Not as good as uh, Yaletown Brewery in Vancouver. Still ranks as one of my top Canadian uh, burgers. I couldn't get into the coffee shop. Uh, Tim Hortons was closed. Let me tell you a weird story also here, DB. Please. I must have asked seven people, hey, where's the nearest Tim Hortons? And they all looked at me. Like I was crazy. Like I've always been of the impression that a Tim Hortons in Canada is like a, like a Starbucks here. Like you just ask somebody where's the closest one and everybody knows where it is. Mm -hmm. They all acted as if I was asking for something that they had never heard of before. It was the most bizarre thing 
Finally found one, though. Uh, thank you to Zach Dooley as well, who pointed out where th- that's the one that we finally found closed at five o'clock every day. So that yep. was the problem, DB, because we have three hockey games a day during the World Juniors. So if you didn't catch it at the right time, uh, you would miss it. But uh, finally did have the, some Tim, Tim Hortons. And I had the Bieber Donuts, which I, I know you saw me tweeting about. Have you had the Bieber Donuts or Bieber Holes or whatever they're called yet? I have not, John. I have not. So please give us a review for the next eh. time in Edmonton in three years. Eh. I mean, I'm you not. know, I did, they might be all the rage in Edmonton uh, or, or the greater, you know, outskirts of the, the prairies or whatnot. But uh, don't go out of your way to get them. Just just stop over at your local donut shop and get a get a chocolate glazed or a devil's food donut. Yeah. By the way, a chocolate glaze is not a devil's food. I mean, if you want to talk donuts, I know we've talked licorice before, like Red Vines versus Twizzlers. Mm-hmm. A chocolate glaze at Tim Hortons is not the same thing as a devil's food at like, a, I don't know, a Southern California donut shop. Do you understand what I'm saying, Dennis? Yeah, totally. 100%. Yep. Two different donuts. Two, so when you walk up and you're like, hey, do you have a devil's food? And they go, well, we have a chocolate glaze. It's like, it's not the same no. thing, people. It's not the same no. thing. It's not close. Let's go. Just because it's just because it's chocolate, just because it's brown and it has frosting of some sort or glaze. It's not the same thing. No. Okay. The hockey was fantastic. Um, met up with a few uh, different players. Actually, at Tim Hortons and uh, talked some hockey. So that was good because they were staying in that JW Marriott there. So you'd go into Tim yep. Hortons and you'd, you'd, you'd post yep. up mm-hmm. next to somebody and you start talking. So uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, had a few meals at the Boston Pizza across the street there. Yep. Went to Joey's. Is it Joey's Bell Tower? That's the place you told me yeah, to go. Joey. Yep. Mm-hmm. Had some good food there. Good food. Great service. Nice, nice ambiance. Uh, they offered me champagne though, right when I walked in. Not really a big champagne guy with my lunch. Like if it was, uh, if it was an omelet, uh, what do you call it? Brunch. If it was Sunday brunch. Yeah. You know, you want to hand me a little glass of champagne? That's cool. Uh, it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I'm ready for lunch. And she offered me champagne. I don't know. Is that like a thing there? Is it just a Joey's thing? What's the story there? I, I did not know it was a Joey thing. No. So I, I, okay. I've not heard of that uh, that routine or that custom. Uh, it certainly wasn't when we were there 26 days in a row. We, we were not <laughs> offered champagne. because. You know. Well, yeah, they had like a little like a little cooler behind the hostess stand where they had like four bottles of champagne and then like a little table with glasses and you walked in and they would offer it to you and it just it didn't it didn't resonate with me this was my favorite food was a big issue on the trip but this was my favorite um story db so i'm taking an uber one time which i only took for the first day because once i discovered those electric scooters it was game on i'll get to that in a minute uh but i asked the uber driver right i'm like hey i'm looking for a really good steakhouse like what do you recommend this guy goes on and on and on and tells me about the absolute best steakhouse in edmonton that that uh is not like it's where the locals go it's not it's right. not like tourists don't go there because we were passing like a, a ruth chris or something and he's like no no no. this is the place you need to go it's five minutes out of out of, uh, out of downtown here's the name of it uh it's alberta beef and he's just he's going on and on about this place i'm drooling right i'm like ready to go i go back to the hotel and i don't know why but i i happened to talk to the lady at the front desk about something else and i just said oh hey this steak place blah 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 it's like is it five minutes from here whatever and she's like oh you mean (laughs) you mean the barbecue place i said no 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 no. it's a steakhouse she goes yeah well i mean they have meat but she goes it's more of like a uh like a kansas city barbecue place and i go what so i go up to my hotel and i I room and i'm I'm looking it up you know i google it or whatever on my phone yeah it's like a barbecue place it's not a steakhouse (laughs) you're not getting the filet mignon you're not getting the asparagus the potatoes 
It's like a barbecue joint, you know, like a brisket sandwich or something. Right, That's right. Totally not what I expected. I ended up finding a great steakhouse, though, right across the street, actually, from Joey's and had a wonderful meal. Uh, I really wish I could remember the name of it. Maybe it's called Chop. Maybe that was the name of it. Mm-hmm. Did you see yeah. it? I know which one you're talking about. I don't remember the name. I, I got in trouble for recommending a uh, steakhouse during the uh, during the uh, Kings <laughs> Oilers. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I got. I, I owe. Here's who I owe a dinner to: <laughs> Faust Fox, um, That's right? Nixon, uh, Hoover from the TV production, Valley and Daryl yeah. Evans. Yeah, yeah. From, okay. so I, I owe, like. I got to pick probably either in Minnesota or Chicago early in the season. I I I told Foxy who just had a actually a knee replacement, so we want to send our best wishes out to Foxy that I got to get on the road for one game and buy these guys on an off day a, a decent steak dinner because I got I got caught in a trap in Edmonton with respect to steaks. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, the play I think it's called Chop. You can look it up. But uh, if you ever have to give another steak recommendation to Edmonton, I would recommend this place. Great food, had a fantastic time. Hey, back to Foxy real quick. I saw that he had that. I've been meaning to text him. I know he had hip replacement surgery a couple of years ago. Is the yeah. knee on the same side as the the hip? That do you know? I I thought Foxy had a double hip replacement. So did he have double hip? Oh man, I, I that's think a lot it was. Yeah. going on. Yeah, and I think it's. I'm trying to remember. I think it's his left knee. I'm trying to remember what the photo looked like. But I text him. He goes, "Yeah, he's he's. I mean, he's getting around and stuff like that. You know that the the surgery and the the medicine now is a lot quicker these days. So, but uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I think in the in the hospital for a day or two, and now he's back home convalescing. But uh, he should be ready for opening night. All right, I'll send him over a text. Uh, get well, Jim Fox. If you're if you're listening to this, and I haven't reached out yet, get well soon. Hope to see you. Hopefully, that surgery added a good maybe two or three inches too. I'll just get that out there because <laughs> yeah. Daryl Evans paid me it's twenty bucks happen. to say that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, DB, a couple other th- uh, World Juniors. Any other? Uh, oh, this is one thing I wanted to tell you about the World Juniors, and I was saving this. I was going to text you this, and I'm going to save it for the show. I had this weird experience, DB. If you remember during COVID, and I'm not complaining. I want to get this out there right now. I'm not complaining. I know we're privileged in the media to have access to different parts of the building, different parts of the game that the average fan can't. So I'm not complaining. But if you remember, I really didn't like being in the empty buildings during the pandemic. I just, it was sad to me. It it made me depressed, right? right? When I was there and I'm just so used to going to crypto.com when it's full of screaming fans. And I was bummed being in that building when nobody was there. So I get to the World Juniors, and anybody who paid attention at the tournament, there were like 12 people in the stands. It was, it was the most bizarre thing uh, because tickets were available. It wasn't, it wasn't a COVID. It wasn't a bubble thing. And right. all the other World Juniors, especially the ones in Canada, they're, they're, they've been packed with fans. So it was a real head-scratcher. But this is, this is the interesting thing that I found myself going through, Dennis. In the first couple of games – when the building was empty and literally there were a couple hundred people in the building. I'm talking like even for a team yep. USA game, less than a thousand people. I was sad. Like I was bummed that Edmonton, this great hockey city was not embracing the world junior tournament. You know how I feel about it. The best tournament on the planet when it comes to hockey. And then this weird thing happened, Dennis, about three, four games in maybe like day two, I started loving it. It was, it was like, um, it was like I was in this exclusive club it was like they were playing the games just for me it, I, I don't know how to explain it but i really started to enjoy the fact that nobody was there and and, and it was just like it, i felt like it was just me it was just me right. and the world juniors and that was it and it was super cool and then as the tournament went on and, and, and it built you know canada started putting more more fans in the building but 
I was sure. laughing to myself, though, Dennis, just thinking how different that was. And so I wanted to bring that up and talk to you about it, because I remember you talking about how privileged you felt being at the uh, the Stanley Cup that was in the bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, did you have sort of that similar experience? Is that is that a fair way to describe it, where you were sort of sad in the earlier games when nobody was there? But it was so special to be at the Stanley Cup that like you really enjoyed it or no, you still didn't enjoy it. Oh, in the moment, it was so friggin' weird and and yeah. sad and like this isn't because right, it's a Stanley Cup final in Edmonton. If you had tickets available, it would be packed, right? So it was yeah. weird. But I, I think that now that it's I'm past that and it's what a year and a half after that or two years, uh, I, I was part of history. I was one of yeah. three American media in the building for the Stanley Cup final. So I think it's a sense of pride and it was, and then it was tough. I had to go and quarantine in a room in the double tree in Edmonton for 14 days to get that privilege. Uh, but in the moment, it's just, and you know, the, the Tampa Bay lifts the Stanley Cup. There's nobody in the building. It's, it was just so, you know, I never got to a point or a space, John, I think there that I felt good about it. Like, okay, I, 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 what I was saying to myself is, you know, I'm going to look back on this and say, okay, I made some history here, but in the moment mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. I'd rather have share that moment with 18,000 fans in the building than be there with no facilities, with really nothing, with packaged sandwiches and not much a drink and nothing. To, it just, it, it was so unnatural for this sport. And that was true of any sport, but you know, mm -hmm. Just the, the emotions that are attached to the Stanley Cup and the Stanley Cup final. And I was, you know, I was in Denver. I was in, in, in Tampa. The, the comparison, when I look back on it, it was never, it was nothing ever to be happy about, John. Yeah. I uh, I will certainly next year and in future years when the buildings are packed, I, I will love it even more. I know that. Yeah, yeah. I just can't articulate. I really started to enjoy it. That's all I'm trying to say. I don't but know it why. It felt same, weird. John. Well, it's a couple of things, though. Like, it was the repudiation of what's going on with Hockey Canada, and everybody knows what's going on there. And in August, Edmontonians want to be out and about. They, they, they're not – nobody's programmed to watch except for you, the juniors, in, in August. It's just not – and there's another one coming in December again. Yes. So I just think the timing of this, had, that had a lot to do with it. Because, John, you've been to Edmonton. I've been to Edmonton. It's not a lot of summer. And the no. weather was good, and people are not going to sit inside and watch games at noon great arena and the building's amazing and i love the the, the ice district but it just it, it's the timing of it and the hockey canada you know not controversy but issues uh, i think it just was a repudiation in the earlier rounds but when it got to the gold medal game yeah people were in the building so i think that's it but i i, I get your point about privilege and saying you know i was there among the few and and i guess it's it just because you were you, it wasn't people weren't stopped from going in the building when you were there, they were stopped from going in the building when I was there. And I think that's yeah. the one differentiation between what you experienced and what I experienced. So there's nothing wrong with you enjoying it. Like you were one of a select few that chose to go. I was one of a select few that was allowed to go. And I think yeah. that's the big difference between the two. Yeah. Well, I certainly did enjoy it, DB. Uh, and you know what I enjoyed almost as much as the hockey? Those electric scooters. Let me just tell you, uh, <laughs> when I'm in Hollywood or downtown L.A. and I see those scooters laying all over the uh, the sidewalks, I, I never really think twice about it because I either have a car or I'm Ubering somewhere or whatever. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the Doubletree. I was staying at the Doubletree, too. The one that's about a mile. Uh, well, to me, it would be oh, like Jasper. a mile east. Uh, is that where it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Jasper. The, yeah. yeah. Okay, so I stayed there. And then yep. if if you walk down the front street, 
Like, because mm-hmm. it's like a triangle to get to the arena. Yeah. If you walk down yes. the, the like the main drag, it's a little bit out of the way. It's longer. If you go mm-hmm. up the backside by the police station, it's shorter. But it's kind of like a less exciting walk because you're you're just walking through. But if you walk by like the police station, side streets, it protects you from the crackheads that are on the street. <laughs> That's true. Part of the I didn't want to get into some of the things that we saw, including the lady yeah. peeing on the sidewalk in front of Tim yeah. Hortons. That is yep. a true story. Broad daylight drops her drawers and just mm-hmm. urinates on the sidewalk. Dozens of people all standing around. I, I, I was like, is this really happening yeah. right now? Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't going to bring that up, but I did. So thank you. Uh, but these scooters, Dennis, I decided like, hey, what the hell? Uh, one day I needed to get back to the hotel. I forgot something and I wanted to go pick it up and get mm-hmm. back to the arena in time and still get food in between game two and game sure. three. So I grabbed one of those scooters. Oh, my God. So fun. I couldn't get off of them. I rode them every day all around town. Absolute blast. Loved it. It, it was one of the highlights of the trip. Yeah, you know who used scooters back when I guess it was 2019 uh, when Boston played St. Louis. Uh, both uh, Elliot Friedman and oh the guy, the other guy from who's with TSN now. They they were using the scooters all around St. Louis. So oh, uh, fantastic! It was yeah. So I just remember an image of Elliot fully suited up on a scooter going from like the arena back to the hotel. So yeah. so fun. Dennis, yeah. it's so fun. Now, I don't know if, if it works this way. Some people that have ridden them before will be like, yeah, John, we know it's been that way for years. But I don't know if it is this way in other cities because I've never ridden them. But yeah. uh, the one weird thing is they have like a governor that's set on it uh, basically uh, due to like GPS. So you'll be yeah. like flying down the street and then it just it goes to half power because you're in a slow zone. It, right. it, so, yeah, you can't be a jerk off driving around like 100 miles an hour through a crowded area. It knows where you are and it just slows you down. So um, you do have to sort of get used to that because you're, you know, you're you're an idiot from California just buzzing around, you know, at full <laughs> throttle. And then, right. boom, it's like, you know, a parachute on your back. So you have to get used to that. But it's a lot of fun, Dennis. I, I encourage everybody to uh, to do it. Let's turn the page and talk about uh, what's ahead of us here. Not only Mark Unetti coming up uh, after the break here, we'll we'll talk about. King's prospects and other things. But one of the things that uh, we hope that Yank can tee up for us is uh, the tournament coming up in San Jose. This is the fourth edition of the rookie face-off tournament, Dennis. The inaugural event happened in Vegas four years ago. Uh, then uh, Anaheim hosted it. Fantastic tournament there. We did a Kings the podcast uh, from that tournament there. And then you had the tournament uh, last year over in Arizona uh, in Scottsdale. Uh, or Wait. Was it in Scottsdale? Yeah, it was in Scottsdale, right? Yeah, Scottsdale. Yeah, yeah Scottsdale. That's right. We stayed in Old Town, uh, Scottsdale. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's going to be up in San Jose. It's going to be the new building that the Barracuda will be playing in. Uh, any thoughts, any any concerns, any interests, anything you want to talk about? Or uh, just let the fans know that in two weeks, the big tournament's happening Friday, Saturday, Sunday's a day off. Then they play Monday. Okay, so I won't be in attendance for the rookie tournament, but believe it or not, I'll be in attendance for the first preseason game in San Jose on the 25th. So. Okay, so you can't make it to Ontario for a rain game, but you can go to a preseason Sharks game. Yeah, well, Sharks-Kings. So. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Sharks it's Kings. a preseason game. Yeah, but I'm going to be up in San Francisco visiting my uh, grandkids and uh, son and daughter-in-law. So, and okay. to, so, so because PJ wants the kids to herself – she says, why don't you take the, the older kids to the Sharks-Kings game? I'm like, fantastic. So Love it. Go. Still so can't make it in Ontario now. And all you're this going to the shark cage. 
Not the shark tank. You're going to the shark cage. Shark cage, yes. According <laughs> according to Daryl Sutter. Oh, exactly. uh, well, that'll be fantastic. Okay, so that's uh, that's probably a week or two after rookie camp. Yeah. After, okay. So uh, I did mention this on mayorsmanner.com. People can check it out. Shameless plug. Um, some things to look for at the rookie tournament. Alex Turcott, as of right now, is TBD. I checked in with a couple of sources. Uh, it, it, so to be clear, not saying that he's not going to be available, just that they have not received clearance on him participating uh, just yet. This is kind of the same thing that happened during development camp where he was there, but he was never cleared in time to get full contact. So we'll see if Turcott is uh, is cleared and ready to play. Uh Jamson is coming over, one of the King's prospects. He's coming over from Europe. Very rare for a player who is already in the middle of camp and or preseason with his European team to break from that and then come over. But Jamson is going to do that. He scored a goal the other night for the Pelicans as well over there. And then, of course, the usual group of uh, prospects from junior hockey as well as the Ontario Reign will be there. College kids don't come to uh, camp. They're, they're back at school, so you won't get to see some of those kids that were drafted like a Jack Hughes. Uh, that'll be off with their with their college programs. So that's what's going on there. Uh, and I listed out a bunch of players on the website as well that are expected. Uh, Jordan Spence and uh, Akil Thomas and, you know, all those sorts of guys. And then also there's a, a player coming over from Germany who was at King's development camp, had a pretty good world juniors uh, for, for Team Germany as well. And, and he will be there. And Brant Clark is expected. Martin Chromiak is expected. Chromiak lost like 15 pounds, Dennis. Uh, he, he had a bad viral infection, not COVID, but, uh, he was really sick and that's why he wasn't on the world junior team because he had lost a bunch of weight. So he's expect he's back training and he's expected to be at the, uh, the rookie tournament. So the Kings again, play Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, take Sunday off. They'll play again on Monday. Then there's a day off and then main training camp opens up. And Dennis in that same article, uh, I did mention that according to our sources, uh, Victor, Arvidsson will not be skating with full contact when training camp opens up. How concerned are you? Uh, concerned because that's a herniated disc in the back. That's not a broken arm or a leg or anything that. So it, it, it will it linger? Like if he's not ready for camp, when is he going to be ready for camp? The only positive I could spin up is that if he's not going to be ready for the start of the season, you could put him on LTIR. And that might help solve the problem with uh, Anderson and Jersey. But, yeah, you got to be concerned when a player who's, what, 28, 29 years old has a herniated disc in the back. And it's not like the surgery was done last week. So, yeah, there's got to be concern until he steps on the ice and is ready to go. Yeah, I I, I don't really think that the LTIR money is going to help much on what they're looking to do. Uh, They have about $4 million left total to spend between those two players. They're going to have to chop it up somehow. Two and two would be one way to do it, but you know, uh, agents and Rob Blake and team, as well as the players, will have to weigh in on that. Uh, it also does free up one other thing, though, Dennis, because the Kings have essentially 15 forwards yep. when Victor Arvidsson is healthy because they did resign Leas Anderson. Jod is out of waivers, Velarde's out of waivers. Mm-hmm. So they essentially, with a Victor Arvidsson available, they would have 15 forwards. So that would give them a little bit of an opportunity to get a longer look at some of those we'll call bubble players if uh, RV can't go for the first couple of weeks or even the first month of the season. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. It, it would be an opportunity. There would be an opportunity with him out, not in the lineup for another player to step up for sure. Well, if not, they're going to have a difficult decision. Do they try to sneak somebody like Elias Anderson through waivers and hope that another team doesn't pick him up? Uh, would they dare risk a Jared Anderson Dolan? You know, you would think, 
figure if they were going to trade somebody like a Gabe Velarde that that trade would have already happened. It's not normally a type of trade that you make during training camp, and you certainly don't want to put them on waivers. So you have to think uh, that the signing of Anderson, which was a little bit of a surprise, um, not because they didn't like him, because they did like him. They just thought they were squeezed from a roster spot. You have to think that that's kind of like insurance, basically, um, that they purchased on Victor Arvidsson being available and being healthy. Uh, you know, that they might need that extra body as a 14th forward. Defensive-wise, although Rob Blake told us earlier in the summer that Sean Walker is going to start over on the left side, I think there still are some questions about how things are going to shake out defensively, DB. We kind of know who the 7D are going to be, mm-hmm. uh, but for how long would be my question. So you have uh, Mikey Anderson with Drew Doughty. You have Sean Walker with Matt Roy. And then you have Dursey along with Bjornfoot and uh, Edler. Yeah, but the other option would be to send Bjornfoot to the American League because he does have, uh, he, he can go, he's waiver exempt. You could send Bjornfoot down and you could possibly start the season uh, with Jordan Spence uh, would be a great option offensively. Uh, but then again, you're adding another right-handed defenseman to the mix, you know, and you have three, three right, you have four right shots already in that group yeah. of starting six between uh, Dowdy, Matt Roy, Sean Dursey, and Sean Walker. So if you keep Spence up, what's the point and where do you play him, Dennis? Yeah, I, I would keep Bjorn for because of the uncertain. Like maybe Sean Walker can do this, but it's been a year since he's played. He's coming up in ACL. I think you want that insurance policy of Bjorn on the left side. And I think that's how you would start the season. Uh, I, but your point is well taken about. He is not he's he's not subject to waivers beyond foot, so he could go down and play. And that's the other issue. If he's gonna play, if he's gonna be with the big club beyond foot, is he gonna be the seven? A kid that young is the seventh defenseman, what's that gonna do for him? Not much. So it's it there's still a question it's not a huge question mark for me, John, but it's still maybe a medium to small size question mark of how that those seven are gonna lay up once you get to opening night. Well, I'm gonna give you another question mark then. Brant Clark. Brant Clark can go back to the Ontario Hockey League, but this kid has proven all that he needs to prove. He's ready for the NHL. The Kings need that type of an offensive weapon in the NHL. We know that they need help scoring goals. And this team, if you really look big picture-wise, getting him to play in the first half of the season and getting those NHL reps would make this team more lethal and more deadly in the second half of the season. Uh, But you have to wonder... How do you put him into the lineup? Because you do have, again, Dowdy, Roy, Jersey already, and we haven't even really figured out what to do with Sean Walker besides start him on the left side temporarily. We haven't figured out what to do with Jordan Spence, and we also haven't figured out Helga Granz. Now, you can leave Granz down in the American League for one right. more year, Dennis, but Brent Clark, he's in that NHL or OHL conversation. He's not eligible for the American League. And I don't know, sending him back to the OHL, it just doesn't seem like that's going to give you the best roster with the best opportunity to win in a very competitive division, Dennis. Yeah, well, I guess if he would make the team, then you would send Bjornfoot back. Uh, he'd have to make, well, he's going to have to make, which is obvious, he's going to have to make the team out of camp. Um, I don't know. Is he ready? Is he better than any of those three on the right side at this level? I don't know. I agree with you. It, it's the type of player they need. But is he, is he you know, is he, I'm not going to even mention McCoy. Is he Bo Byram yet? I don't know. If he is, yeah, then you got to put him on the team. Because right? mm-hmm. even with Fiala being added, 
to get to where you to have better offense next season or this coming season, like, you know, Kempe's going to have to get in the 35 range. Phil's can't score 12. Q's got to be better offensively. So if, if those are going to be challenges or they're not going to be able to hit those marks, then you would definitely need a player like that. I, I just question to put them in. It's not about can he play one side of the ice. It's how is he going to be defensively? And that's mm-hmm. my question. Is, can he can he play with men defensively this season? I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you are right, though. You bring up a good point there that, that probably is a little bit lost, uh, you know, at least in some social media circles, and that is that Kevin Fiala, as great as he might be, is not going to solve all of the LA Kings' problems on offense. You are going to have to worry about regression with the Phil Deneau. You're going to have to look at regression with a player uh, like Adrian Kempe. If Victor Arvidsson is, in fact, out of the lineup, how long is he out of the lineup? That's something to be concerned about. Now, Drew Doughty was off to a phenomenal start last year. I think something that a lot of people probably have forgotten about. The dude scored 31 points in the first 39 games of the season, Dennis. But he is a year older, and, you know, age does catch up eventually with everybody. Not that Drew's on the you know, the downside uh, or that he's washed up. I'm just saying another year coming off of being injured. Can he come out again and put up 30 points in the first 40 games? Mm -hmm. If he can, that's going to add some offense there. But things, things are in flux right now with this team as, as settled as the 23 players might be the offense and where it's going to come from is still a question mark. I think that's a fair point, Dennis. Yeah. Look, it's not, this is not the Colorado avalanche offense. Like this is not elite offense. It's not going to come from all these different facets. It's going to be by committee. Look, look at last year. Kobe was the leading scorer. What do you have? 67 points. Like the team right in front of them, the leading scorer had 110 points. So yeah, you, you can't have any regression. And John, I said this before, I think on the last podcast, like this is a more pivotal season than last season because you can't go backwards. Right. And Mm -hmm. part of it, not going backwards is proving on offense, but you know, what are you getting to get from Artie? Can already get to 20, 22. We mentioned Q. Like, what, what's going to happen? Can Without Arvidsson, are, is Deneau and Moore going to be effective? So it's it's going to be a really intriguing – like, this team could win the division, and they could miss. So And it's going to come down to offense, I, I think, and to some extent the goaltending. I was I just going to say I disagree with you. You were on a roll. I didn't want to interrupt you. It's <laughs> going to come down to goaltending. That, to me, is the X factor in all of this. It's going to come down to goaltending because the Kings historically have proven that even when they're not leading all the fantasy leagues uh, with offensive production, when they get it done with goaltending and the defensive uh, uh, structure will support that, that when they get it done with goaltending, they can win. And they're going to need help from the goalies this year, Dennis. Yeah, but the thing about that is, though, they were really good defensively. They didn't give up much, but their save percentage combined between quick and Peterson, great. I think they were 20th in safer percentage. So it was a really, it wasn't an odd year, but it was it was total proof of system. The system that Todd put in worked. It kept them close in games. They didn't give up a lot. They didn't have a great offense because statistically, like they really weren't, like they were a plus three goal differential. This wasn't really a playoff team. It was. It no, was a plus three is not going to get it done. Plus right? three and will not get it done in the long right, run. Because you're going to win a lot, because you won a lot of close games. But if, if you're going to play that way this year, you're right, John, you're going to have to have one of your starters has to be like 925 or so, or like a, a Connor Hellebuck type of season, not the last season he had. But I agree with you. If you can't have one guy at 905 and one guy at 895, it's just you're really, really pressing your luck to think that you're going to repeat the same performances last year if you're going to get those type of numbers. All right, sign me up for another podcast. We can debate goaltending in the first period. We can debate the power play in the second period. And then we can debate the larger offense 
in the third period. But waiting on the other side of the break, Dennis, we do have Mark Unetti, one of our most popular guests here on Kings of the Podcast. And uh, before we delve into the the prospects, one of my first questions for Yank is going to be, let's talk about the reunion. Because while I was up in Edmonton covering the World yeah. Juniors, back home in L.A. at uh, Terranea, the resort down in the South Bay, the L.A. Kings quietly put together a 10-year reunion of their 2012 Cup. Let's see what Yank remembers from that weekend and uh, any stories that are available for public purchase. Uh, we'll talk about that and a lot more after the break with Mark Unetti. Welcome back, second period, Kings of the Podcast. We are always excited when Mark Unetti joins us. He's one of our most popular guests here on KOTP. So, Yank, welcome back. Awesome. Glad to be here again. All right. So, uh, we're nearing now the end of summer. We had originally talked about doing this right after the draft, but I uh, thought we'd give you a break. So, uh, have you had a good summer? Have you had any downtime at all? Uh, not a whole lot of downtime this summer. We had a lot of things. We had, you know, we had to replace Pony. Um, and that, that process was very involved, took, uh, took a long time and then kind of, uh, solidifying our post COVID, um, model of, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we implemented some new things when, when live scouting wasn't available and now trying to create like, uh, like the better hybrid monster of, of live and, and non-live views. So, um, there was a lot of things to put in place for the season. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a little slow right now, right before camp, but it was a, a pretty involved summer. All right, so let's touch on a couple of those things real quickly. You mentioned Tony. So Tony Gasparini, longtime scout with the LA Kings. I think he even predated you. Uh, he was one of the head scouts or the head scout covering the, the U.S. prospects. He left to take a GM job in the USHL, and you guys hired Andy Johnson. Just what can you tell Kings fans who aren't familiar with Andy Johnson and his time uh, in the USHL? What can you tell them about Andy? I, he's he's driven. Uh, he's passionate. Um, he's a kid. You know, we went we we, we went through his uh, resume. We had a, a couple of long talks with him. Uh, this is something he he sacrificed a lot to make this dream of his being involved in hockey happen. Um, you know, between being a part time scout in the USHL for almost no money. Um, turning that into being a part-time scout for Central Scouting and the USHL, again, for almost no money, um, for multiple years. And uh, then he turns it into a full-time job and uh, impresses people enough to be a GM of, uh, of a USHL team. And not only that, uh, helped be one of the people who helped build uh, Sioux City into, uh, uh, I think it's, it's the Clark Cup or the Anderson Cup. I can't remember which one Clark is Cup, the regular yep. season. Clark Cup championship. Um, that's pretty impressive uh, to, you know, to to start off like that and to, you know, to, to be single-minded in in, 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 
in a pursuit and then have it culminate in that success. So, uh, you know, he's, it's, I, I think he'll be a real strong point on our staff eventually. Yeah, and the timing is almost perfect, right? You come off winning the championship, you're on a high, everything's great, and then you move into this role in the NHL. What are some of his key responsibilities? Again, for those that don't know too much, they're always fascinated about how the scouting process works. And, and as you mentioned, it's it's changed over the last couple of years through COVID. But what are his key responsibilities? Like, what is it? What is a, the, the the future year, the next year for Andy? What does it look like? Where where is he, and what is he doing? Well, I mean, the future years, of, you know, he's going to be doing the same things that. Tony did in in a sense, uh, albeit you know where Teddy was doing it uh, under Tony, Andy will be doing it under Teddy now. So um, in terms of viewing responsibilities, in terms of scouting, uh, it, it, it'll be very similar to just what it was in the past. He'll plug into that role. He'll be responsible for the same leagues, uh, the same the, the same amount of views, same players. His only difference is there's a lot of learning. Um, there's a lot of unique things we do and, uh, there'll be a, there'll be a, a multiple month learning curve where, it, yeah, it'd be scholastic similarly to, you know, to going to, to going to school to be, you know, a lot of things, a lot of things you have to learn. Um, it, it was funny. I was, I was talking to, we, we had hired, uh, Ron Payette and Stefan Vijay, a young kid, um, in the West a couple of years ago. And uh, Ron is one, two Stanley cups in Pittsburgh. Uh, been scouting for a long time. Uh, and, you know, he's, he, he's an excellent scout. He's learned the business and, you know, and, and distinguished himself. And, and he, he even, he told me it was almost a year of a learning process for him to adjust to how, how we do things. He, he, was, he found it really invigorating. Um, but, you know, he had to learn, he had to unlearn, he had to adapt some things, you know, some things, he, you know, some things that really worked well, some things, you know, that he didn't like as much. So um, there's a lot of, I, and again, it's, it's interesting. I would love to sit down with other teams and, and see some of those things. Obviously, we can't do it, but um, <laughs> he, he was surprised at, at, at how much learning was involved. And then the, the younger guy, uh, Vijay, uh, you know, he was, a, you know, he, he was a blank slate, like he'd never been in hockey. And, he had just finished playing in Europe. He had never been in hockey at any level. Real intelligent kid, um, and and said similar things just in terms of the amount of learning that uh, that has to take place. It's you know it's surprising. So, uh, Andy's going to have to uh, Andy's going to have to learn. He probably will have to relearn or or adapt less than Ron, but probably a little bit more than uh, than Beach. You set me up perfectly because my next question was, which one's harder, taking a scout who was previously a scout and had a way of doing things and kind of reteaching them, you know, uh, everything, or getting that blank slate that you just mentioned and then having to build them from the ground up? Which one's more difficult? Uh, it's certainly more difficult for Ron uh, than it is for, for, for Vijay, for Stefan. Um, it's certainly more difficult because, uh, again, it was the same for me. Uh, what, 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 like, it's amazing how much I thought I knew uh, before. No, it's funny. You know, you get you get a, a built-in level of arrogance. Uh, and I think everyone does in all facts of life when you when you've done a job for a long enough time, right? Like, mm -hmm. what, it doesn't matter what it is. You you, you just there's this built-in level of arrogance because you you know how to do it. You've done it for years. You've had success. You're, you know, and then you get exposed to someone at a 
far higher level than you. And as I said, I should say someone, multiple people that, that, that are doing things differently and better and, and more intelligently and more innovative than you are. And, and you get instantly humbled. Um, and then if you're the right type of person, if you get instantly humbled, you want to, you know, you, you want to achieve. So um, I, I think with Ron, it's harder because um, it's harder to teach because he has some of those things. And it's harder for him because he's now has to, I don't know if I want to say unlearn because, you know, what Pittsburgh did was obviously successful. Um, but, you know, again, it's not quite what we do. So it's a little bit uh, longer process with a younger guy because you're going to teach him so much more. And then he's going to have to go through all the stages that, that, that like I went through or someone else did where, you know, you become a know-it-all or, you know, Vij hasn't reached that way, that, that level yet. Um, and then you get humbled and then you learn more. So um, they each present unique challenges, but I think it is a little bit more, uh, it's just a little bit harder because, you know, like Billy Ranford, when I, I was talking to Billy Ranford when he's teaching a, a goalie, a, a new style or a different style or an adapt, adaptation of a style. And you can see the progression that they're making, even in a week. It, it, it's incredible. If you sit down on the ice level and you watch the goalie coaches like, like Billy and, and Miller and, and now uh, Adam's there. Um, but like, I have much more experience with Philly doing it. And, and you watch them breaking these guys down. And as I said, they don't change quick style. They don't change Bernier style. They don't change Cal style. You know, but they, 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 they tweak it. They, they, they make adaptations. They make subtle changes. And you see the goalies start to employ it. And it starts to become more, uh, more natural to them. And, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm marveling at how quickly he's able to do it. And then all of a sudden you get into a game situation and everything breaks down and scramble and the guys go right back to their old stuff, you mm-hmm. know? And so like Billy and I've always, we've had a bunch of conversations about that, you know, about, about breaking muscle memory and breaking that because there's a similar application to, to the way we do things. Um, and he said, it's, it's, you know, again, that week has to be repeated 10 different, 10 different weeks. And then that scramble situation in the game has to be repeated a hundred times before they become comfortable. So that's some of the, uh, that's some of the things you have to do with a, a scout that comes from another organization or an executive or, 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 or just someone who's been in the business for a long time, um, myself included, when I came over from Toronto. Now, Yank, I don't want to take away from any of those great points that you made right there, but I'm going to need to break your muscle memory. And, and, and you kind of disappointed me there a second ago because you mentioned you, you said Miller as in Matt Millar. And I figure if anybody could get Millar right, uh, that would be you. Uh, so it, it's, it's not Miller. It's not Ryan Miller. No, I, I, Matt Millar. What? Malah. Nobody pronounces nobody pronounces my last name right. I don't care. So, so hell, they don't even spell my name right all the time. That's so, true. They don't. My first pro game, my name was spelled wrong in the back of my jersey. I don't. I don't take offense if people start pronouncing my name wrong. And Matt, you know what? Maddie can. Uh, Maddie can deal with that too. He can. You know what? He can pronounce my name wrong the next time you guys talk to him. Uh, yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, look. Last question then related to the scouting part of it, because you, you just you, you gave me 20 other questions as I was listening to you talk there. Um, you, you like it when when people are intelligent and when they push back on you and, and, and challenge you. So I'm curious, as these guys are coming on board and they're trying to figure it out and get their sea legs under them, as you were just talking about, it could be several months for Andy. It could be a year even. Right. 
is the moment yeah. that you know that they get it is that mo is, is is the moment when they push back on you when you're in a meeting and they challenge you you know in a polite respectful way but when they when they really dig in a little bit on a particular player and, and uh dig in on their views is that when you know like oh yeah okay they're comfortable now they get it because now they're they're maybe opening up a little bit yeah you know it's hard to say, like, like like challenging yeah it, it's you know I, I think it's tough to challenge to challenge me sometimes um especially for a younger guy. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different, you know what? Yeah. It, that's certainly would probably be the culmination when, it, you know, and it might not be challenging me. It might be challenging burn. Uh, you know what? The hardest guy to challenge might be roots. Um, you know, uh, roots has a presence. I mean, roots is, you know, roots has been in the, you know, he, he, roots would have played a thousand NHL games. if He didn't want to go back to, 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 to Finland and, and finish his career with his family, you know, in his homeland. I mean, like, uh, Roots is intelligent. He's he's successful. He's smart. He's he's you know he's very quick witted too, which also adds yeah, to the all, challenge. Like people, yeah, it, it, you know, he might be. It might be the hardest to disagree with with Christian. It might be. Uh, Maybe me second. Um, or, or Burn is in that group. But it's so it would be one of those. You know, a guy. I'm not saying disagreeing, but it, you know, a guy being you know able to. Because you can present an alternative view and not disagree. You know, you can, you know, you can agree that, you know, I, you know what? I think some of the subtleties, not just disagreeing, because um, you can disagree with anybody, but being able to disagree with someone um, in a more subtle way where you recognize he has a point in what he's saying, um, but you think it manifests itself differently, or you don't think it's his biggest strength, or you don't think it's his biggest weakness, or something like that. I think, I think when you, when, when the guys start getting a little bit more layered in their thinking, I think that's the aha moment for me. Um, and, and it would usually, you're right. It would usually come in a, in a degree, disagreement, I don't know, a debate, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably when it would manifest itself. Uh, you know, if you're agreeing with somebody, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get, it's hard to get deep when you, when you agree with, it's easier to get deeper into a problem or uh, an explanation when you're disagreeing with someone. So that, that that's probably the culmination of it. But, you know, you see, you see little things like like BJ is the easiest one to do because he's the newest guy and he was the youngest. You know, he's the first guy we've had on the staff, um, on the scouting staff that's been young, um, and, and brand new. And and he was probably one of the, he was way smarter than I was. Uh, he knew when to keep his mouth shut early on. I wish I, you know what? I wish I did. I, no, I'm serious. I'm not even even with Dean. I wish I had learned to keep my mouth shut a little or or a little more discretionary and a little differently how I express myself sometimes with Dean early on it, it certainly affected our relationship uh not professionally but personally um and and uh Vij had that figured out uh way way quicker than i did you know those moments that you were speaking of you know the layered part of the conversations to me those are and moments not or moments everything doesn't have to be or it can be mm-hmm. and like you said somebody else can have a good point and there might be some additional perspective that we can add to it so i think that's when conversations really start to uh, have a lot of fun and find a lot of depth is when you can find those and moments instead of or yeah i agree as i said it, it, you know any anything black anyone, don't get me wrong like black and white concrete you know definitive things are good um but uh, those other discussions those and or you know those those and allows you to get a little bit deeper into it. You know, don't get me wrong. I wish everything was was quick and easy and definitive. This player's better. This player's better. It's just not like that. 
Uh, talk about black and white and things that are definitive. Th this was not on the original schedule because we were going to do this earlier in the summer, but uh, a big event, a key event, uh, perhaps a fun event took place between that conversation and this conversation. The LA Kings had a reunion at Terranea for the 10 year anniversary of the 2012 cup. There's a picture floating around. I think it was Jeff Carter's wife who originally posted the picture, but uh, Dean Lombardi walked straight off of the set of Sopranos onto the uh, to, to the reunion. Uh, tell us a little bit about the reunion, how it went, and uh, how Dean is doing. You know what? Don't give him, don't give him the coolness <laughs> factor or the credit of Soprano. Dean I knew you would love straight, it. He was, like, he was like Big Earn. He walked straight <laughs> off the, uh, he walked straight off the movie set of, uh, of Kingpin right out of the bowling alley. That is, you know, you know, you know, you know Dean Lombardi of, of 2012 and 2014 is, is Sopranos, but, you know, now that he's, now that he's uh, left us, he's uh, you know he, he doesn't get that kind of street cred okay. anymore. Fair enough. Um, no, that was it was uh, that was a big surprise to me. Um, I, I I got the invitation. Uh, like Jared uh, Jared Green and Max Cole. I didn't realize all the stuff that went into this. I didn't re I didn't realize what a big deal it was. Mm -hmm. um, they had done like this incredible amount of work behind the scenes to make this happen. Um, it's amazing how, how, you know, easily it is to take things for granted and how smoothly it went. I, I would have taken it for granted if I didn't see, start seeing some of the behind the scenes things they were doing. Um, I, I, it's not my thing. I wasn't, it's, it's not my, you know, I, I love that. Um, once something passes for me, it's done. I've never put my skates on since, you know, with the exception when I had to help out on the ice with the team. When, but, uh, when my career ended, I was done with that. I, as soon as something ends for me, it's it. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I didn't ignore it because it's rude, but uh, I, I made a quick response that I, it's not, you know, I wasn't interested in attending and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. <laughs> I wasn't going to go, man. No, it's, you it's actually declined the original invitation. Yeah, well, don't give me, I mean, don't forget. I mean, the, the Hoinka things there, the World Junior was there. It was uncertain when the dates were going to be. Yes, it, it, it was like during World gonna, Juniors. That's true. You know, it looked like it looked like they were, you know, it, was the Holinka going to, you know, conflict with it? Was you know, there was a whole lot of things. The draft had just ended. We, you know, we hadn't hired. You know, we. I wasn't sure when we were going to finish the hiring process. Yeah, I mean, the hiring process literally finished. It might have been five to seven days before that, and it could have easily gone longer. Okay. Um, so there was a whole bunch of things. I view the, the, that as something player or coach centric. Right. Um, you know, the trainers, the guys that are there every day. Um, I've always viewed, I, I, as I said, I've always viewed there to be a clear separation between executives and players, you know, That's coaching fair. staff. And, yeah, I, I just, you know, like, like, you know, like, like again, because Hudo was there with me. Right. And, and obviously um, we, we have a relationship and it's, it, it, um, like Mike, Mike is completely different. You know, Mike and, and Dean completely different. They they view that as a as not a line at all. You know, it's it's just like uh, it's like an ebb and flow of a current. You know, there's a lot of interaction between executives and players some days, and then there's little. You know, it's, uh, you know, depending on where the tide is. Um, and that's again, it's, it's diametrically in opposition to how I view it. Um, so when I'm reading this, I'm like, you know. No. Those guys don't want to be with a whole lot of guys, you know, a whole lot of guys like us. Like, like you know, this is their thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's for them, it's for their wives, it's for the people who really shared it and experienced it. Um, and it was really, you know what, it was really cool. Like, I got a call from Jarrett and I spoke to him. I got a call from Nelson Emerson you know, and other people. And, um, 
yeah, it's, you know, it's it really cool. I don't know that I ever felt, um, it, 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 it was a really cool moment. Like I, I, I remember hanging up the phone. I, I forget, I forget which which one it was. It might have been Jared who said you got to be there or something on a text, and it made me really feel more of a. As I said, I, I, I feel a part of it. We helped build it. We helped structure it. it was, you know, but it made it feel a lot more team. I don't know, a lot more accepted. A lot more. You know, it's hard for me to put in words, but. It's, I don't get real emotional, but it was really, uh, it was really a profound moment for me. Um, and, and I started to realize how important this really was. And thank God, because when I got there, um, I, you know what, I, maybe I wouldn't have known what I missed if I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can tell you this, I certainly, I certainly appreciate being there and, and having experienced it, knowing what I would have missed. Um, it was really unique. It's something that'll probably never be replicated. Uh, seeing all those guys, and then again, you forget you forget some of the you haven't seen a guy who's traded or whatever, and and some of these relationships that just instantly come right back. Um, it, it was a really cool feeling, and, and seeing everyone together, and then again, being able to observe it from both the inside and the outside again, because you know, um, you see how the players are interacting, see how they it, it was it was unbelievable, and then you know, as I said, the the fact that they had almost every single guy there, I, I think they had twenty you know, 23 of 25 or, or something like that. I mean, uh, that's a testament to, to those guys too. It, it was, it was unbelievable. As I said, it's not my thing. It's not something I usually gravitate to. Um, but, um, my, 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 my life experience would have been lesser for having missed it. That's awesome. Uh, a couple of follow-up questions there. Let's get right to the elephant in the room. You look at the picture, Mike Richards, Dean Lombardi in the same spot for, for uh, uh, quite some time. How did that go? Well, I, I, it's, it's funny. I mean, like you could, you like it went great. Like you could argue that that, that, that Dean was too loyal to, to, to you know, in, in, in a league where you in a league where you want to build relationships and trust and loyalty, you still have to recognize the absolute mercenary nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dean should have taken the compliance buyout that was offered. Everyone knows that. Yeah, he everybody knows that, knows that. You know, right. You no, know, it's not, it's not, you know, as I said, I don't mind speaking about things that, you know, that, that, that are, that are out there. It, like, again, it was, it was a mistake all the way around. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, Mike Richards had done a lot to earn Dean's loyalty. Mm-hmm. And one of big, Dean's biggest strengths and, and one of Dean's biggest weaknesses are the, uh, you know, is, is the loyalty and then the subsequent blind spots loyalty can, can, can create. However, don't forget, like Dean's way of building a team and Dean's thoughts on loyalty and family and, and culture especially, right? I mean, culture mm-hmm. is what, what, what did it for us. Let's be realistic. Those are the very things that brought a cup to LA. So, um, you know, every time you criticize it, um, you, you need to be cognizant of what it actually got us, mm-hmm. um, the, the players, the fans, um, the organization. You know, so um, I, I, as I said, I don't think I don't think there's any hard. I, I don't know. I, as I said, I remove myself from those those kind of <laughs> interpersonal uh, situations as much as I can um, for that very fact. But I, I'm telling you, it seems very seamless. Everybody, like, wait, it just seemed very seamless. Like, Dean walked in, um, looked like he was an outsider for about a minute, minute and a half, and then boom, like, it was like everything. He's sitting in the middle of the guys, uh, 
it was like that for every player, personnel, uh, you know, staff. Um, so as I said, it was it was it, it was really seamless, uh, and you could just you could just take that and apply it to any of the situations, you know, with players or coaches, players or players, you know, anything. Um, you know, it, it's amazing what reliving a moment like that will reliving a moment like that will soften over any rough edge. It, uh, I would encourage anybody who is a Kings fan who wants more information about uh, the the reunion. All the players, uh, both publicly and privately, have had nothing but great things to say, much like you, Yank. But uh, Willie Mitchell, over the weekend, I think, posted uh, several pictures on his Instagram and a great video, if you haven't seen it, of Dean Lombardi holding court, giving a speech. It was a classic Dean Lombardi. He's referencing history and war and, and, and leadership and uh I will tell you, it made me long for the Dean Lombardi six-hour media scrums uh, as I was listening to to Dean give this uh, speech or a rally cry or uh, toast, whatever it was. Uh, it, it was classic Dean Lombardi, so uh, you people should go out and check it out. My last question about that, just since you had a chance to interact with Dean and he's not always accessible, was there any update on the book? How's, how's the book coming along? Well, until he gets rid of that awful title, I don't mean, again... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how Amazon could list it. I mean, the title will take up like like three quarters of the page. Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, my God, you know, it's like. <laughs> but, but you would expect so, nothing less from Dean. It can't be easy. It has to be, you know, a, a volume of three or something. It's uh, yeah, it, it's it's going to be great. But no updates. No, I said, I'll, I'll I'll get it the second it comes out. It's just you know what I mean. It, you know, a little light reading by the time you finish when you, when you when you're reading the thing on your commute to work by the time you finish the title you're there yeah it's gonna be we're gonna have to set aside several summers to finish the book okay so uh, we didn't get a release date that's what i'm hearing from you no i i, I my assumption is my it's all done um it's done but, okay yeah yeah that's my that's based on what i based on what i heard okay based on the way it talked about it just you know as i said uh, why make it easy? Okay. Well, while we while we uh, await the release date, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side. We will talk about rookie camp coming up, and we'll talk about all those players that were selected at the 2022 NHL draft. We'll be right back after this with Mark Hey, Mark One accomplishment that you helped me with The one thing that always tore us apart Is the one thing I won't touch again In my sick way Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast Okay, third period. Welcome back. Mark Unetti is still with us. Thanks, Yank, for, uh, of course, joining us here today and, and sharing some thoughts. Let's get into some player stuff. So uh, I, I want to go through each of the players that were selected at the 2022 NHL draft. But real quickly, before we do, uh, the NHL rookie tournament, we, we're doing this so late in the summer now. Labor Day is upon us. The NHL rookie face-off tournament taking place in San Jose. I think this is the fourth edition. Vegas. Anaheim, then uh, Arizona, yeah, now San Jose. Uh, anything that we should be looking for? Any? I know Jamson's coming over uh, from Europe. Anything else we should be looking at roster-wise uh, for that tournament? 
No, those are pretty standard. I mean, you'd always like to have uh, you'd, you'd like to have all your prospects there, and obviously we have uh, quite a, quite a few in college, and then over in, in Europe right now who won't be attending. But it's really good to get Jansen over. Um, still, so, you know, there's a lot of Nick Dowd in terms of uh, body development, and you know, you, you look at you look at Nick Dowd when he was 29, he looked like he was 17. So uh, it'll be good to get Jansen over and kind of into that mode, maybe expose him to it uh, a little earlier than he would otherwise uh, otherwise be allowed to. So, you know, obviously I'd like all the other guys over, but it, it, it is really important for him. And Brant Clark is expected to be there from what I understand. He should be uh, good to go coming out of the experience that he had uh, with Team Canada prior to the World Juniors. He's good to go, right? As far as I know, yeah, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard anything to the contrary. All right. And so we are awaiting uh, word on Alex Turcott as well. I did check in earlier this week with a couple of sources, and it seems like it's it's TBD. So we'll see if Turcott is available. There's an article on mayorsmanner.com. talks about some of the other players, Martin Kromiak, Sammy Hellenius, et cetera. So uh, for those interested, please check that article out. Let's get into the 2022 NHL draft. Let's go in reverse order. Uh, seventh round, you did something that I, I believe, you correct me if I'm wrong, sort of goes against your general philosophy. You robbed Peter to pay Paul. You traded a future seventh-round draft pick to get back into the seventh round, something that you don't normally do, to pick up Caleb Lawrence. This is a kid who played two games last year and then missed the prior season because of the OHL shutting down with COVID. So I'm very intrigued. Uh, Owen Sound player, a massive kid, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but just somebody that you haven't seen a lot of uh, recent live viewings or, or tape on, what, what made you want to rob Peter to pay Paul and jump back into the seventh and grab him other than size? Oh, uh, you know, it's funny. First, the first thing is a conversation with Rob and, uh, and Bert and Mark Burge. Um, as I said, I hope I can continue to learn uh, and, and, and listen, uh, you know, when, when people have good ideas, profound ideas and stuff. And uh, you know, my philosophy, I'm vehemently against, trading futures just to suffer. It's, it's a, it's a never ending cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I won't say what was said, but, but something was said there to change my mind with a u- really unique take on it. Um, you know, once someday when I stop drafting, I'll tell you, it's really cool. It was really, it was really cool. It was like, it was like a light bulb moment. You know? Um, so I, I'm a little bit more, I shouldn't say I'm, I'm a lot more open to, to doing it in the right circumstance and with the right, structure in place to to possibly replace those picks so um that was the first thing like being you know being open to it because in in the past i would not have been open to it mm-hmm. so a conversation was what it was and then uh it was it was a little unique we, we wanted to invite we wanted to invite lawrence to camp um and uh, we we didn't wait till the draft obviously you know we, we wanted to invite him to camp and a lot of times what you do is you'll you'll call an agent and you'll uh we did it with McDermott. Um, we had McDermott's name on a tryout agreement um, before the NHL draft took place. Now, if he gets drafted, that tryout agreement obviously is ripped up and it's, it's null and void. Um, so we, we do things like that with players that we think might not get drafted, that we might be able to get into our camp without drafting them. You know, like McDermott was a free draft pick um, and a very serviceable player for us and filled a hole um, that, 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 that the organization needed uh, at that point uh, when he, when he finally grew into it. Um, so that was the thought with Lawrence. And when we reached out to his agent and I'm not talking the day before the draft, I'm talking um, before the draft. 
uh, he was already going, I believe it was Calgary's camp, but he was always already going to an NHL camp. They had done the same thing that we want to do. So um, there was, you know, there was, I, I, you know, I hate, I hate to use the word swing because I, you know, it, it just makes it seem like you're just closing your eyes and guessing. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of, you know, he, he, there's a, you know, a seventh round pick got a 2% is less. It's a 1.3% chance to make the NHL and play 200 games. Um, why not? If you're going to take a chance on someone, you know, he's been at Columbus's camp. He did well there. That's where he got hurt. Um, he's big. Uh, his skating by all rights had improved. Um, one of the things, you know, from draft year minus three to draft year minus two to draft, you know, uh, he's seen a progression there, even in the limited amount that he did play. Um, he's gigantic. He's got pretty good uh, hockey IQ and sense. And uh, th- that seemed like, you know, as I said, we, we wanted, the guys wanted him to camp. The guys wanted us to invite him to camp for a reason. So why not, you know, why not take a low success rate draft pick and see if we can, you know, find a little lightning in the bottle um, rather than just sit there and wait. Well, you know, I just worry about that seventh next year. Yeah, I kept waiting for Mike Donnelly to put him uh, together with Andre Lee and uh, Hellenius at development camp, and it didn't work, though. That would have been fantastic. Uh, and I'm sure the Ontario Reign guys were sort of uh, licking their chops, wondering what the future might look like there after getting pushed around by teams like Colorado uh, over the last couple seasons. Let's get to the uh, the sixth round. You made two selections there. Again, going in reverse order. Uh, speaking of size, Jack Sparks, he's a pretty big kid. He's 6'8", and I believe he's headed to Michigan State. Uh, defenseman has a big shot from the point, from what I understand, but most likely projects as a stay-at-home defenseman. Uh, you tell me if I'm wrong. No, I mean, so I don't want to, as I said, I talk to these kids, I talk, I don't want to put a governor on the kids. You know, like, uh, you're, you're a D6, you know, you'll, you'll never play in a power play or whatever. Um, you know, because guys outperform, hey, see up here, guys outperform their draft and the guys underperform their draft. But, um, you know, I don't want to put unrealistic expectations. I also want to put a governor, but, you know, again, realistically, this kid, um, this kid projects to a, a defense first, uh, a defense first type player. If, if you know, if he makes the NHL. Okay. Uh, uh, what do you want more? I, yeah. I, 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 I don't know if you're going to ask another question about it. I don't know. It's going to follow it up. No, um, like, like this kid, like when you get a six foot eight guy, um, at any point in the draft, but especially the later you go into the draft, that dreaded word, project or raw or whatever as soon as you say project or raw you shouldn't be drafting a kid um you know i, I don't know. i mean I, I don't love those i mean yeah there's guys that are raw there's guys but i mean if they're really i mean if they're really a project if they're really raw and that's and some of the guys we drafted did, did fall into that and and i and i i think we've learned that that doesn't usually work out um this kid every draft picks a project um, this this kid's a six foot eight guy that can skate. Uh, he's a better than average skater already. He's an athletic movement type guy already. He's six foot eight at his age. That's rare. Um, and whenever you hear the word raw or project with a big D later in the draft, it usually means you can't move. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, no matter what you do, you have to spend all your time trying to make a guy at least get to an acceptable level of movement, um, which at a lot of times it's a futile process in and of itself, but even at the best of times when that's improving, you're doing that at the uh, detriment 
of other things, right? They're, you know, you're spending so much time on his skating and he's spending so much time in that one area just to get up to a, just an average level or just a, 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 a basic level to, to, to be able to be there that now you're behind on the other thing. So with him, you know, you could argue it's an area of strength for him, which now allows him to, you know, to work on other things. It allows him not to be under siege when he's on the ice. It allows him to, to not be playing, you know, not be forcing to be tread water in these situations. You know, he's six, eight, he can move. He's athletic. Um, that takes the, the dreaded project tag off of him. And uh, he's got five years now uh, with our development staff. You know, bigger defensemen usually take a little longer. Uh, he's going college route. I think that's a really good, um, I think that's a really good development path for someone with his attributes uh, and, and at his level right now. So at, at, at that pick right there, it just seems, you know, Again, you, you look uh, you look at Logan Stanley. Uh, I think it was Winnipeg. Uh, it might have taken him five or six years to get to where he is now. Um, and, and Stanley's a better player, better prospect. That's why he's taken in the first round. But even even those higher level achievers, uh, you know, that that go higher in the draft, it still takes them a very similar amount of time. So using a sixth round pick on you know, a, a player. I'm not saying he's Stanley. I'm just saying a player in that mold or in that in that style or those characteristics seems like uh, a good value for that for that slot. All right, there was a player taken earlier in the sixth round. This came via a trade, I think, with Tampa. You moved the Pittsburgh pick from the Carter deal, uh, traded some stuff, ended up in the sixth pick, uh, sixth round with Tampa's pick. Selected a player out of the USHL, Jared Wright. I'll read this to you real quickly uh, from a trusted NHL scout. Uh, not you, uh, different, di- <laughs> different trust at NHL scout. So I'm not reading your own words back to you, but uh, at the time that day of the draft, I tweeted out, uh, these comments late bloomer, great athlete, high end skater and compete, um, improved all year long, uh, highly effective on the PK, the four check attacks, the hard areas of the ice, big, fast, good skills all around. And, uh, I believe, he was targeted for the USHL. This talk about draft picks being traded around. This kid's moved around from three different teams over the summer. Originally committed to Colgate, then was going back to the USHL. And now I think he's headed to, oh, just that school called Denver. They've had some recent success of late. So uh, what can you tell us about Jared Wright? You know, that, 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 you know, that would have been very similar to a report that I would have written on the guy or, or, or multiple guys in our staff would have written on the guy. Um, you know, yeah, he's, he was committed to Colgate. Um, He's a guy, I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but he's, he's steadily improved the last two years and put himself into a position where uh, when he signed with Colgate, he was, a, um, he was behind. You know, he was a guy that they thought would need another year in the, in the USHL and all that. And all of a sudden, he's just kind of outperforming. Uh, he's outperforming what people thought he was, even at that level. And multiple schools had inquired of whether he'd be willing to go to college a year earlier than he originally anticipated. And Denver was one of those schools. He had talked to a couple others, but um, he took a visit uh, out there and it, it seemed like the right place for him. Um, and they want him early. And, you know, as I said, he's, he's taken steps in his development just in the last three months. Um, you know, forget over the year. Uh, and he continues to do it. Uh, I know you and I talked earlier. Uh, one of the guys that had done that for us was Leferrier, the kid at Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, he just continues to 
make these 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 high level gains in in his progression. Um, you know, they, like the Ferrier, like when 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 this kid, when people find out about this, the Ferrier kid, they're gonna they're gonna be like, ah, oh, how how where this guy come from? Um, I, I think Wright is in the same mold. Uh, based on our draft list, we would have taken Wright earlier than we did. I won't say where. Um, there was a plan in place for him. We were fairly confident that he wasn't on other teams' radar, uh, which allowed us to do what we did. Um, if we just went on merit, we would have drafted him. As I said, I'm not going to give it. We would have drafted him earlier, and I'm not talking about one pick earlier. You know, I, you know, I'm just we would have drafted him earlier. But with all the research, with everything, uh, we really thought that this was a spot we. We had a high, and I mean high probability, no gambling, a high probability of getting him. And that's one of the reasons we made that trade with Tampa was to try to maximize the value of, of that pick um, and then, you know, use other picks on guys who would proceed to go earlier. Uh, it's not something we do often, but as I said, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out and prognosticate and, and, and you know, draft model and things like that. So it allowed us to take him there. Uh, and he's just, again, anybody watched him in development camp, this kid's a really good player who uses his speed exceptionally well. And one of the things that prevented him from being drafted a year ago was the fact that despite his speed, he didn't use it well. Um, now you're seeing a kid who's put it together and, and, and using his speed. Uh, he used it well defensively, but now he's using it offensively. And even, if, even at development camp, he was behind guys. He was beating NHL skaters, you know, to the to the hard areas, and then when he cuts to that hard area, he cuts that hard area with a purpose and with no conditions, um, which is going to, you know, as I said, you watch the NHL now, bigger guys with speed that cut to the hard areas have a high level of success, and they create if they don't create goals for themselves, they create scrambles that lead to goals for other people. Uh, they create space for other people. You know, when he enters and when when he cuts into that area, that speed, it, it, it creates a vacuum behind him or, or in another area where. Where, where the space was. So, um, you know, whether he does it himself or the, the aftermath is him creating room for his teammates, uh, there's going to be a lot of, as we hope, there's going to be a lot more uh, offensive upside to that skating. Well, he's somebody to keep an eye on in Denver uh, at Denver this year. Alex Laferriere, third-round pick back in 2020. He certainly burst onto the scene last year and is now on the radar of a lot of people and is climbing up the ranks of the uh, LA Kings prospect rankings. Oh, by the way, Laferriere plays at – where does he play? What school, Yank? I'm sorry, is it Harvard? Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> no, I want no, I was I was trying to give you redemption. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to hear a good Harvard. Okay. Where's uh, Harvard? Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Now, the next player uh, on the list here, selected in the 5th round, uh, this player did not attend development camp, so really don't have any sort of book on him. But uh, you mentioned Christian Rutu earlier. Uh, this is a, a five foot ten defenseman, or five eleven, excuse me, a stocky guy though at two oh five already uh, playing out of Finland. So I'm sure that Roots had a couple of comments about him during the uh, the scouting process. Yeah, of course. Um, it was a little bit of good fortune too. Uh, I went out to Europe in the second half of the year in February for about three weeks, um, and. Uh, oh, is we this the kid that didn't? Is this the kid that didn't play when you went? Well, it, it, he didn't. So the first, so so we went to IFK to watch him play, and, and uh, the Liga, the big team, mm-hmm. and and he didn't play, and you know you're kind of <laughs> sitting there. Yeah, it's not waste, but it's a you know what I mean. It's you, you fly over there, and and 
at a game not watching anybody. <laughs> right. so, um, but no, there's nothing you can do. I mean, this kid had long COVID. Um, he had, you know, complications from long COVID. Um, every time you thought he was going to play, he, he was pushed back. And this is the, 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 the ironic thing. is, So we go to see him play in IFK, and he's finally going to come back. And he doesn't. And then Roots, because Roots is connected as anybody, um, the, the rumor is, you know, he's done. They're shutting him down for the season. So I'm like, my wonderful. You know, I got I got three games scheduled in that three weeks with this kid in it. Um, you know, trying to catch up. You, you know, so uh, luck would have it. Two days later, Roots and I go to the IFK Junior game, and Roots finds out you know, we weren't going to go. We, we had other games scheduled. Uh, Roots finds out this kid's actually going to play. Mm-hmm. So he goes from playing to not playing for the rest of the year to being the junior game. So I ended up getting to see him three times on that trip anyway. Um, uh, it was really good. He was, uh, you know, he was obviously a little rusty. He was, uh, but you know, his speed, his skating. You, 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 I would, I was surprised he had missed as much time, and his his skating looked as good as it did. He, you know, even when he got tired, you see guys break down. Like you know, that's one of the things with skating. When guys get tired, the skating um, breaks down and gets slower. When he got tired, his skating didn't get slower. You know, which means he's got natural glide, which means he's got natural ability. His hips are good. Um, there's an efficiency and 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 and, and, a, and a good level of technique to go along with, with just speed. Um, so you know he's a natural skater. So that's one thing that that jumps off the page. And uh, I think there's going to be some versatility with him. It'll be real interesting. Um, you know he's a he, he's a offensive defenseman who doesn't have a hole in his game defensively. You know it, it needs to improve, but usually usually you see the offensive guys at that level. Um, have more be one more 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 one dimensional, um, and he was able to play you know different roles whether it was the Liga uh, tournaments or whatever he's able to adapt to a, a more blend role uh, a, an offensive role at times not quite a defensive role but but again defensive situational play where they're not trying to protect them they're not taking them off the ice so the, you know in a two oh five. You know, with that fire hydrant type build, it'll allow him to, you know, it'll allow him to, if, if the offensive part doesn't materialize, it should allow him to be a very strong uh, two-way guy or, uh, you know, even the third kick at the can, uh, a defensive guy. So, uh, you know, there's three unique um, opportunities depending on which uh, which tributary uh, the development, you know, that development river goes for him. Uh, so it's, 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 pretty, it's a pretty good path anyway around for him. All right, so we'll have to uh, get Roots on soon and, and get some of his comments as well. Uh, in Roots the... just saw him play the other night. Oh. I was on the phone with Roots. He was in the Liga. He was running the power play on one of, one of their power plays. No, it's preseason. But, <laughs> um, but well, hey, Jam- he, Jamson had a goal the other day. Yeah, Roots is really excited. When, when, Roots, as I said, when Roots called me uh, about this kid, he was really he, he, he was excited. He was happy. You know, you know don't, don't start waving banners and praying. You know, it's preseason. But Roots was happy with what he saw the other night watching his kid play. Hey, we need to stick to the 2022 prospects, but uh, I do have to ask you about Jamson. Did you know that he's a rapper too, or uh, in a rap video? Did you know about this? I have. No, you know what? I, I actually did not know that. <laughs> okay. And kid, I can't kid imagine, Jamson. I can't. I, I can't imagine that would make me like. You know what? Maybe he's really good, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb and say it's not gonna make me. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't help his stock. <laughs> you know what? If he was, you know what? If you told me, you know, geez, he's a. You know, 
he's a real fitness freak or he's a real, you know. You know he's about he's 85 pounds. Me, I don't think he's a fitness freak. That's what freak. I'm saying. I'm saying if you, if you tell me he's on YouTube doing all these fitness videos, you know, and all these strength building things, I'd be a whole lot happier. All right. All right. Well, if he, if he headlines Coachella, uh, I'll get back to you. Um, Next, uh, there was the other fourth or no, there were two fourth round picks. Uh, we'll get to both of them and in reverse order here. Um, I have a trivia question for you though. The next player on the on the board here, taking 116th overall, Angus Booth out of the Quebec League. Now, if my trivia question was, when was the last time you selected a player out of the Quebec League? It would be too easy. You would already know the answer to that, right? I didn't even know there was a Quebec League until last year. <laughs> that's what I think. That's where I'm going with this is that it's so rare that you guys draft a player out of the Quebec League, but Jordan Spence would have been the answer. So here's my real trivia question. Do you know the time before that that you drafted a player out of the Quebec League? Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say Z. I'm going to say Zaykov. Uh, you're right, actually. Yeah, 2013. I should have known that I wouldn't be able to get that one by you. All right. No, I, w- I love that kid, but I wish we drafted someone else. <laughs> I understand. That's a whole different show that we'll get to some other time. Uh, Angus Booth, tell us about him. He's a defenseman, uh, six foot one, coming out of the Quebec League. He, he showed up at King's Camp, uh, but we didn't get a chance to talk to him. So uh, I don't have any real scouting notes. I'm, I'm dependent on you at this point. Um, there's some similarities to, uh, Stalin, not quite as, uh, as good or as natural a skater, uh, but, but a good skater. Um, he's, you know, he, his season was kind of in two parts. Uh, you know, uh, Nick Sinclair and Chris Byrne had, had been really high on him in the, in the first part of the season, uh, playing on a pretty loaded Shawinigan team. And uh, he was on their first power play, but second power play mostly. But he had seen some time on, on, on the first, which is pretty good for a young kid on a team that is competing for the Memorial Cup, which ultimately won it. Um, and then he got hurt. He, he sprained, I think it was a high ankle sprain. And uh, I came a little late to the party on him. And he never was quite the same in the second half. And then he hurt himself again. I believe he sprained the other ankle. Uh, and that was just as they were making their run and they were pulling in more players and they were, you know, they, they, they were, they were, they were really loading up. And the fact of the matter is he was able to miss a big chunk of time like that and be able to be a regular on their, uh, on their Memorial Cup team, uh, was, was pretty impressive to me. Uh, he played a different role, obviously, in the, the latter third of the year in the Memorial Cup, uh, much, much less of an offensive role, a little bit more of a strict, um, puck moving, uh, efficient role, uh, solid on both sides of it. Um, but more, they wanted to play more mistake-free hockey. And I, as I said, you know, I, I like that he's able to do it. I, I wish he could have, uh, done a little bit more of what he did in the first half of the season. But, um, you know, it, he was, he was really good. He was, he was able to deal with adversity. <laughs> um, you know, and as I said, he's if he tracks to be that offensive guy that we saw, or, or at least complementary offensive guy that we saw in the first half of the season, um, you know that 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 certainly uh, that certainly will add to you know the level you know the level of uh, of what you project he can get to. All right, so the other player. Uh, selected in the fourth round. This guy went 103rd overall. Kenny Connors out of the USHL. He was one of the players that uh, in our 
pre-draft article on Mayor's Manor. We had targeted that you guys would be interested in Kenny Connors. He's an interesting kid. Um, some of the scouting notes that we had prior to the draft. Uh, great second year in the USHL. Was the top defensive center in the league, yet played nearly a, at a point-per-game pace. Impacts all 200 feet of the ice. High-character kid. Uh, and he's going to UMass, of course, which will be a good development uh, situation for him. Maybe a sleeper pick, but you guys, you guys like this kid coming into the draft, I would assume. Yeah, Tony was Tony was really high on on him. Um, Tony probably led the led the charge. You know, he's not probably Tony led the charge on him. Um, he felt this kid had already distinguished himself. Uh, you know, again, we talk about culture, we talk about character, um, and, and I and I really think it's important to draft some culture and character. Um, I think you draft it later. As I said, I. I you know, philosophically, it's one of the areas I disagreed in the, you know, in the in the older regime with with, with Dean and Mike, um, and, and there have been exceptions. I'm on record as, as 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 being one of the the Kyle Clifford guys and and thinking it was the right move at the right time. But 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 that's the exception for me. I I, I think that we should be drafting culture and compete later. Um, Alex, Alex Martinez. Um, you know, that, that, that's perfect. Um, you know, even Dwight King, um, that's, that's where you go. That's where you, that's where you find, uh, that's where you find some of those, those secondary culture guys. Um, so this seemed like the right place. That's, that's what Tony, uh, and then, and then Teddy to a, a lesser degree, um, really, really were driving on this guy. You know, he was the top defensive forward, uh, in the USHL at an age where guys don't like to play defense. Um, and this year he had become a much more regular offensive contributor, you know, as, as good as his defense was, as good as the culture was, they, they, for him to be drafted a year ago is, is natural draft year. Um, there needed to be more, you know, and this year he had shown more. Tony is, uh, is, was, and is convinced that there is a secondary offensive dimension to his game. Um, we'll see. Uh, but the fact of the matter is he's a, a, a compete first guy, a hardworking guy. He's wide, you know, he's built well, wide body, good skater, um, showing, you know, as I said, he had an offensive, not explosion last year, but a really coming out party. Uh, and if that can continue, then, then he would be a sleeper pick. And if not, uh, then, you know, you, then you hope he gets to that, um, you know, that, that secondary thing, like, you know, like they obviously we drafted Nick Shore to be an offensive guy. Um, and he wasn't, uh, but he managed to play over 200 games because he was good defensively. The difference would be this kid naturally hard where Nick, uh, wasn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the very least, I know that, uh, he was drafted to make the LA Kings, but at the very least, if you could do what you can to get him on team USA for the world juniors, that would be helpful. Uh, along with Jack Hughes, they went to the, the camp. They weren't expected to make the team that played in Edmonton, but let me just tell you, team USA is a lot more exciting to watch when you have the Kaliav and, uh, Turcotts and et cetera of the world on the, on the roster. Um, so if, if Hughes and Connors can make the team for next year, it'll make my personal world junior experience more enjoyable. I just wanted to get that out there for you. Oh, it makes everybody's world junior. I mean, you know, you get, you know, you get you get to walk. You know, you get to kick open the when you got eight guys or nine guys. So when you got five guys to world junior, even yes. three, you get to kick open the doors rather than you know rather than just walk through them. So 
So that would certainly be nice. Uh, you know, as I said, it's, it's a nice thing for the immediate uh, eagle, uh, but you know, it, long term. I mean, as I said, I mean, you know, we, we were we were pretty uh, we were tripping over our lips uh, when 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 Tyler Tafoli did. We were pouting so much when Tyler didn't make it any of those years. Yes, and uh, it still worked out. It still worked out pretty well for him and for us. I, I think that's kind of where the uh, the Brant Clark thing is right now as well. Is uh, just just you know play the long game on this one here. Um, look, uh, my Brant, Brant Clark is fine. I mean, why would you want to take one of the top two defensemen in Canada and put him on? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, but it's a head but, scratcher, man. As I said, I'm not talking about I'm, 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 you know if he's again. I, there's certain biases. Um, as I said, we had guys at that camp on our staff. Uh, we had other scouts come up to us. You know, multiple people. Oh, he's the best, you know, best defense. It's not close. He's the best defense. It's not. I think you could argue. Um, I try to be objective, but it ain't it ain't it ain't close between two and three. Like you mm-hmm. want to make an argument, he's not the best. Go ahead. Um, but don't forget. I mean, again, I can't, I can't sit here and 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 uh, and you know and, and disparage Team Canada picking a team. You know. The LA Kings who won 2012 and, and even 2014, but more 2012. You know, how many people disparaged the way we, you know, geez, they took this guy. There's a way right. more skilled guy they could have had. Right. Geez, they did this. There's a way better, you know, a way faster skater they could have had. I mean, yeah, but you're still building a team. Um, and, and the goal for the Kings is to win a cup. And we really thought we had a way and a model to win the cup. Mm-hmm. And we did because we won it twice. And we won it with that model. We didn't deviate from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that model was building a team in, in, in certain areas and foregoing, uh, you know, again, I still I still see media and, and, and other people, you know, criticize that team for not scoring and not having, you know, they didn't have a 30 goal. So whatever. I mean, who cares? <laughs> who, who cares? You know, you know what else we didn't have? We didn't have a team in the NHL who could even remotely stay with us for three periods. Like, right. I'm not, it wasn't even close. Like, you know, the third period, if, if the third period, if you went to the LA Kings in the third period, tied up a goal or down by a goal, the game was over. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't last the last 20 minutes. But again, there was a method to that madness. And, and as I said, it's hard for me to, you know, listen, I'm, I, I, I'm, if I tell you Brant Clark is the top or second best defenseman at that Canada cap, I'm right. Mm-hmm. Not It's not open for debate. If, you, if I tell you, you know, it's open for debate if I say he's the best. It's also not open for debate if you say there are three guys better than him. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Canada was building a team under a certain way, under a certain method. Very, you know what? And it was very similar to the way we built our Stanley Cup team. They were building a team to win that tournament, mm-hmm. and they were building it to win a very certain way. And if you look at the way, like Zellweger and you know, if you want to get forward, like McCav, like like how about Forster? Like some of these guys who are offensive guys that 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 taken, you know, uh, that took different roles and, and embraced them. That's why they won. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, hey, listen, I, I think I know how they were building that team. I think I know what they were putting in place and 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 what attributes they were looking for and what they weren't. And I understand. As mm-hmm. I said, I still would want to pick the best player. You can't argue with what they did and how they did it, because that team, albeit the, the 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 final game was a was a little bit scary. You know, they weren't tested. I mean, they, they you know, I don't know. I always felt the Canada was going to win that tournament, even when the U.S. was good, even when 
know, I, the U.S. I, was I never all... tested though during the prelim round, no. and it came back to really bite them once the playoffs started. Yeah, it certainly did. It certainly did. And again, the U.S. had a bad game on the wrong day, True. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and Canada don't get, Canada had an okay game in the finals when Finland had a high level game. You know what I mean? That's the thing with those one game tournaments. Mm-hmm. But you know, as I said, I, I, I you know. You can tell I get I get a little bit ornery when when you talk about Clark not making that team, but I understand it. And, and it said, I said, you know, if Canada went two and three in that tournament and didn't get any power play goals, well, all right, get the you know get the pitchforks out. Sure, much um, easier to criticize them at that point. But when they come yeah, away like with they, the gold, they, it, it it all just sort of washes away. Yeah, and they were and that team was good. Like that, you know. So as I said, it's it's. You can't criticize people for having a methodology and a plan, sticking to it, and then having the plan be successful. Like you know, you're kind of you kind of eliminated any stage for criticism there. You can't criticize them in the the, the planning, you can't criticize them in the process, and you can't criticize them in the implementation because it worked in all three. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but as I said, um, it doesn't change what level of player Clark is. Um, hopefully it motivates some more. As I said, I know it made, I know it motivated Ty a whole lot more. Absolutely. Um, you know, I know that. You know, there was a change in Ty. And and the change wasn't the first time he got snubbed. Like Ty the first time Ty got snubbed, it was a little bit of woe with me. Um the second time he got snubbed, it was a little bit of I'll I'll show you. Right. So um so as I, I hope that that, you know, motivates. There's one other factor in there also, and we can move on, and that is in, in talking to some people connected to Kings, I mean, uh, excuse me, Team Canada management, they also wanted to give every opportunity to that age group to be able to make it, you know. Uh, and, and so Clark didn't make the team in December for the reasons that you mentioned earlier. And then now when the team, when the uh, tournament was rescheduled in August as the makeup from previous, it was canceled to COVID, they wanted to give those kids every opportunity. So when he went to camp, Clark, that is, when he went to camp, there really wasn't any expectation that he was going to be making the Edmonton team. He was there really getting a look for the December tournament um, for those that are listening, because many have asked, well, why didn't he make it? And he was cut a second time. Not really. Uh, If there was an opening due to injury or whatever, then Clark would have been given an opportunity to earn that spot. But more or less, he was there for the December camp. Uh, Let's move on. Jack, the Jack Hughes, the LA Kings pick of Jack Hughes, uh, which is interesting because I still, uh, we've debated before or discussed before Dowdy versus Stamkos, and I've long believed that uh, you guys would have taken Dowdy either way. You've gone on record uh, and said that. Yeah. Uh, I think back to the Jack Hughes draft when Jersey drafted Jack Hughes, I think the Kings would have taken Capo Caco had, had you guys been one or two, but that's, that's water under the bridge. You finally did get the opportunity to select a Jack Hughes and uh, unfortunately for Tony, it came in the second round because he didn't get to have his bookend of his career walking up on stage and announcing it. But Jack Hughes uh, from Northeastern was selected 51st overall. My note, uh, the day after development camp day one was smart player, always around the action. And then at the end uh, of camp, Mike Donnelly said, made some good plays offensively. Um, that's what he excels at. He, he sees it around the net. He's a pass-first guy, but he's always trying to create offense for his line, mate, line mates. Uh, really good vision, really good hockey sense. It was a great camp for him. I also had him on my list as one of the top three forwards uh, at development camp, along with uh, Jamson, actually, and LaFerriere, who were my three three stars of uh, at forward of camp. So what can you tell us about Jack Hughes? Any, any thoughts here as we head into his uh, next college season? No, I mean, again, you nailed 
he's definitely a pass first guy. There's no question. Uh, hockey IQ, whatever it is, whatever all-encompassing term you want to use for hockey sense, intelligence. Uh, that's why we drafted him. That's why we had him rated as highly as we did. Um, vision, certainly. You know, as I said, I, I, I've said this before. I mean, he could have played in the USHL last year. You know, I mean, he's younger than two of the guys we drafted that that were still playing in the USHL. Um, so, if he plays in the USHL last year, does he put up seventy-five points? Put up more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as I said, you know, it's you know, I he, he challenged himself in college. Um, I think you know what? I think he got picked. I think I think he lost multiple draft spots by playing in college last year. Now, whether you care about that or not, you're, you know. The end of the day, you want you know the only thing that matters. The end of the day, the only thing that matters is how many cups you win, and then the next level is how many NHL games you play. Like mm-hmm. so that, that's all that matters. Whether you're drafted first or fiftieth or two hundred, um, but there's also an ego factor. And you know, if he were in the USHL, he probably wouldn't have been drafted by the Kings. Um, he probably wouldn't have gotten to him. You know, so um, I love the fact that he challenged himself. Um, you know, he had to fight hard at times to to keep his head above water and, you know, against some older players that, you know, I mean, he lined up against a guy last year that was, he lined up against a guy last year that was seven years older than he was. Wow. Um, think about that. So, um, you know, so as I said, the, the, this, his sense is what allowed him to, you know, I mean, he played mostly second line center minutes, but he played some first line center minutes at Northeastern, uh, a high level college program mm-hmm. uh, amongst the highest. Uh, so that tells you something right there in and of itself. So the fact that this guy's playing top six minutes, um, physically underdeveloped, at a disadvantage in that thing, younger, um, it tells you how smart he is. And then when you see him at camp, as I said, still guys older, but a little bit less of an age gap. Um, you start seeing some of those visions, some of those playmaking things. Uh, him able to hold on to the puck just that second longer. You know, uh, him able to fight to a check a little, you know, um, all those little seconds uh, and half seconds add up. And I, again, I, I agree. I thought he was one of the better players in camp. Uh, he made a lot of plays. He makes his line mates look good. He finds them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's certainly, you know, one of the things we saw on, on, on live and video views last year. When you think about the next season and, and, you know, draft plus one, something you've talked about, what are you looking for? Because now you've had an opportunity to engage with the player, right? Now the development staff has had him at camp and that sort of thing. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you're looking for just more definition in his game now that he's had a chance to go through at least one cycle of, of development camp because you don't get him at the rookie tournament. Being a college player, he's not eligible. So it's just that one week, really, that, that the staff had a chance to, to work with him. Yeah, well, you know, I think what you look for, as I said, it's, it's hard to... You know, what do we want? We want him to have uh, 10 more goals and 20 more assists or, you know, you know, it's hard to do those things because, you know, you know, good players should have, should put up good numbers, but there's always things that can, that can happen. So what we want, we want, we want to see him, the primary things that we like that he showed in development camp, we want to see those be primary things for his game next year. Um, and they weren't always primary. As I said, he was fighting for space in, in college last year. He was adjusting to the level. He was adjusting to the speed. He was adjusting to the strength. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of the things that you saw in development camps that were primary were secondary last year. So we, we want to see the playmaking come to the fore. You know, we want to see all those, those little plays, those hockey sense plays come to the fore. 
We want to see him do a little bit more himself now too, right? He's a pass first guy. I don't think there's any question. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I don't think we want to change him being a pass first guy because he's so good at it. But you don't always have to be a pass first guy. You can most of the time be a pass first guy. Mm-hmm. So now there's going to be a couple instances last year. I, I I can think of seven instances last year. I don't know. Like cause we actually were watching his video the other day, um, and, and so it's just fresh in my mind. But there were seven instances, I think, in the video where he could have shot. There were five where he should have shot. So, and again, he deferred to older teammates. He deferred, deferred to passing. So some of those times I want to see him shoot. You know, I want to see him try to turn the corner on a defenseman once in a while. You know, he's got that step. He can, he can, he can cut back and hit the late guy. Well, you know what? But maybe he can go. So you, you want to see the evolution of some of the individual attributes of his game. Um, he certainly needs to get a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, his skating is average to slightly above average, and I'm turning out. I'm now speaking in, in terms of an NHL application. It's probably probably slightly above average for an NHL application. Um, but based on our staff and, and what we think, it's strictly strength. It's not technique. You know, just him just him becoming stronger puts him to in, into the you know better than average category. I think which that's where he, he ends up with in the NHL. Um, but there's no reason why he can't be there next year. So, so things like that. You, you look for uh, specific areas. Uh, you know, you look for mindset changes. You know, or not changes. You just look for mindset, little little alterations in his mindset. A little bit more of, you know, being the guy rather than being a cog. All right. Well, we uh, thank you for your time, Yank. As always, we have circled on the calendar October twenty second. We'll get to see some Kings on Kings crime, Jack Hughes, uh, and Providence. T- excuse me, um, Northeastern. Sorry, uh, taking on UMass Lowell, which uh, will feature Ben Meehan on defense. So a defenseman on one side and a Kings prospect at forward on the other side. Of course, Andre Lee, who was at UMass Lowell, is going to be uh, in Ontario this year, and we look forward to seeing him at the. Uh, rookie tournament coming up here. So you have about 10 days left, Yank. Enjoy the final uh, sort of stretch here of quote-unquote vacation, and then it's time to ramp things back up again. Absolutely. It'll be fun. All right, Yank. Have a great weekend. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back soon with another edition of Kings of the Podcast. I hear the train going. It's rolling around the Drinking whiskey and smoking big cigars. Well,